morning. It is my great honor to introduce to you one of my good friends, Dr. Adam Greenway. Uh, he will be preaching this morning, uh, this evening, and at 9.30 in the morning, he will be fielding questions in a kind of a panel-like uh, session. Uh, you were, you're invited to that. It's in the Fellowship Hall. I've seen him in those venues on several occasions, and uh, you, will, you will be deeply edified uh, by what he has to say. I first met Dr. Greenway. Uh, we did our PhD program together. We were in classes together. And I learned very quickly, along with the other students, uh, that he was a man set apart. Uh, he, he was a brilliant man with deep convictions. He was above approach in his character. And we knew that God had noble purposes for him. When he graduated, he went and pastored. And, I, I, and he, was, he pastored several years in Lexington. And looking back on that, I believe that that was critical in your preparation uh, for what you're doing today. Uh, because Dr. Greenway is a churchman and there are certain muscles that can only be developed as a pastor and I believe many of those muscles were developed your leadership muscles were developed on the front lines of the pastoral ministry but in time he came to Southern Seminary and served with distinction uh, all our the colleagues there love him respect him he was promoted to Dean of the Billy Graham School the only school in the world that Dr. Graham gave his name to uh, and this particular school was devoted to missions and evangelism, hence the reason he's here today. He has a great commission heart. What was also remarkable about him during that time is I don't know anyone that has served more interim pastorates than Dr. Greenway. How many states have you been an interim? Maybe half of them, <laughs> six states. But uh, one, of the, one of the more remarkable um, interims that he served, there was a large church in Louisville that had verged to left. And I don't know of a single interim pastor who came in and revitalized a church that was veering left. And that church is still uh, benefiting from his leadership in that interim uh, today. Another anecdote about him, in 2011, uh, Brother Al, Kim, and I were in San Francisco for the ETS meeting and we we went to lunch with Dr. Greenway and I asked him what do you sense God is doing in your life what do you sense God's going to is calling you to do ultimately he said I believe that God is calling me to be the president of a seminary and about seven and a half years later now he was 33 at the time um, he was just out of puberty and <laughs> and seven and a half years later he's appointed as the first the, the youngest president in Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary history at the age of 41. And he has done a remarkable work there. I told someone recently he was really lamenting over uh, some of the, the warring factions in our convict, conviction, uh, convention and also what we see in the culture. And I told this person, here's the reason, among other reasons, that I have hope, the health of our seminaries. Uh, we are pumping out seminarians who have a high view of the, of the gospel, a high view of the scriptures, a high view of God, and have a heart for the nations. And, and so I have a lot of hope for the Southern Baptist Convention. And Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary is no exception. He has led a remarkable work there. And we are blessed to have him this morning. Would you welcome Dr. Greenway? 
Well, thank you, Dr. Payne. It's a very kind introduction. It is uh, wonderful to be back at one of my all-time favorite churches, Lakeview Baptist Church, here in the loveliest village on the plains. Certainly, I'm so thankful to count uh, Al and Kim Jackson as dear friends of our family. Of course, Brother Al is also a fellow Southwestern Seminary graduate. And I have to take a moment of, of personal privilege uh, on a couple of fronts. One is, um, this weekend has been special for my family because uh, my son, Wade, who is 11 and a half, and he's in sixth grade, for reasons completely unbeknownst and inexplicable to his parents, has decided he is an Auburn fan. And uh, so Brother Al uh, worked it out for uh, uh, Wade and I to go to our first Auburn game together. And uh, I have to admit, if, uh, if you all were scripting a better way to lure him in, especially that last five minutes, y'all couldn't have done any better on, uh, on, on, on that front. Secondly, uh, I want to commend something, and Brian mentioned about uh, my heart for the church. Uh, anybody who steps out of the pastorate steps down, not up. And all of us who serve in some form of denominational life and ministry we serve the local church. And there are times where uh, it's easy to criticize and to see things that aren't done well in local churches. And that often comes up in the context of pastoral transitions. Uh, oftentimes, uh, those uh, look more like train wreck and shipwreck than they look like the kind of successful handoff that they ought to be. And I have watched from a distance what has happened here at Lakeview as uh, your longtime beloved faithful pastor of many decades is preparing to finally turn over the reins to his God-appointed successor. I'm actually going to have the privilege of being back next month to celebrate officially the retirement uh, transition and, and handoff. But I want you to know, I pray and I rejoice in the fact that this church will be a model for countless Southern Baptist churches about how to get it right in terms of one man of God handing off the pastoral mantle to another man of God so that the work of the ministry may go on in an undiluted and undiminished fashion. And it has been a joy to watch that as a president of a seminary whose heartbeat is to train pastors for our local churches. The church rises and falls with the character and the capacity and the chemistry of its pastor and its people. It's like a marriage. And what I've seen... In the years I've had the privilege of being here at Lakeview has been a, uh, a field laboratory for how to get it right. And I just want to commend that to you because you're in it all the time. But as somebody who gets to watch from the outside, I just want to just say what a blessing to me you are as Lakeview Baptist Church. And uh, give yourselves a hand. In God's economy, I was actually supposed to do this a year ago. Uh, I was supposed to be the preacher for the Global Missions Celebration last year, and this little thing called COVID-19 disrupted everything. I was not supposed to be the preacher this year, but through providential circumstances, the one who was couldn't do it, and so they said, can you do it? And so I, I take this day uh, as a divine assignment and as a gift, and I come to you with a very simple straightforward message, and that is, the time 
for excuses is over. When it comes to fully surrendering to God's will and mission for His people, no more excuses. Our commitment must be to do whatever it takes to fulfill the mission. And I take as my text this morning a passage that hopefully you're familiar with, Acts chapter 8. If you have a copy of God's Word, either in print or electronic form, Acts chapter 8. We're going to begin in verse 1. We're going to go down through verse 8. And let me invite you, if you would, if you're able to do that, if you're joining us here this morning, we certainly greet all of you joining us online as well. But if you're here in this sanctuary, let me invite you to stand with me. Let's honor the reading of the Word of God together this morning. Can we do that? And let me just invite you to follow along in your hearts as I share this word from God's Word. This is Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. And this morning I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB. The Holy Spirit says, Saul agreed with putting him to death. On that day a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. So those who were scattered went on their way, preaching the word. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds were all paying attention to what Philip said as they listened and saw the signs he was performing for unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. This is the word of our Lord. And thanks be to God this morning. Please be seated and may God richly bless the reading and study of his word together this morning. If you're familiar, of course, with the Great Commission, you know the Great Commission is given five times, once in each of the four Gospels. And then most notably there in Acts chapter 1, particularly in verse 8, which chronologically speaking, as we're going through the New Testament, these will be the last written, recorded words of Jesus before his ascension to the Father, where Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, to the end of the earth, the uttermost part of the earth, as the King James says. Now we know that. This church I know knows that. And in fact, in many of our churches, what we've done, and largely this has been with the encouragement of mission agencies and sending partners, has been to have an Acts 1-8 strategy for your church. And to take this and to internalize and personalize it and to figure out how you're going to reach your Jerusalem, your Judea, your Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world and the earth. And that's a marvelous thing. But obviously, before Acts 1-8 was your church's mission strategy, Acts 1-8 was the church's mission strategy. And yet, today we talk about how we need to do all of these things in simultaneity, concurrently. We need to have a strategy of how we're reaching, if I can use uh, the language here, Lee County, the Auburn-Opelika area. Then we've got to reach the great state of Alabama. And we've got to reach America and the world for Jesus Christ. And I know, again, the testimony of who is gathered here 
this morning, the number of people, the men and women who've gone out from Lakeview Church to go to the nations is a sign of God's favor and blessing of, of faithfulness and fidelity to that. But have you ever stopped to wonder about what happened from the get-go? You say, what do you mean? Well, Acts chapter 2, of course, is Pentecost when the Spirit of God falls and there are those tongues of fire. A lot of people get excited about those tongues thinking that that was the real miracle of the day of Pentecost. But no, the real miracle of the day of Pentecost was that everybody there could hear the gospel in his or her own native language without the need for interpretive aid. That is a miracle. Peter preaches about 10, 000, 10, 10 minutes and 3,000 people get saved in one day. People being saved every day, the Bible says, and goes on. But do you notice something? Acts 2, Acts 3, Acts 4, Acts 5, Acts 6, and Acts 7, the center and the location of the entirety of that ministry is Jerusalem. Everything that's happening is in Jerusalem. In some ways, you might argue that the Acts 1-8 vision was not entirely being carried out because in Acts 2 and Acts 3 and Acts 4 and Acts 5 and Acts 6 and Acts 7, everything that's happening is solely in Jerusalem until we get to Acts 8. We pick up in Acts 8 there where it says, Saul agreed with putting him to death. Now, Saul, of course, we know is Saul of Tarsus. Uh, he is this uh, murderous madman who's kind of monomaniacally focused upon eradicating Christianity in its embryonic form. We're not yet to Acts 9 where he has that Damascus Road experience and like Hank Williams, he sees the light and he hears the voice and he's marvelously, radically saved. In Acts 8, he's still Saul. And the him there, of course, is Stephen. Now, Stephen we meet in Acts 6. Stephen's one of those first deacons that was chosen in the, early, in the midst of early church conflict when there was kind of a sense of favoritism and partiality between the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews and who was getting more in the daily distribution. It could have been a very divisive episode. It could, could have really torn that church apart over allegations of racism and favoritism, but God used his spirit to tell those apostles, why don't you point seven guys full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We'll, we're going to put them over this task. And those deacons were not merely table waiters. They were powerful evangelists. They were proclaimers. The first one of those, of course, being Stephen. Stephen, we read in Acts 6 and Acts 7, where he's preaching boldly about the resurrected Christ. He's proclaiming the gospel in such a way to where the religious leaders, the authorities of that day, really don't appreciate it to the point of which they literally execute him in one of the most violent and vicious of ways. They stone him to death. Hardly your best life now kind of stuff. And at the end of Acts 7, Stephen's being stoned. And there's this guy named Saul who's there who's holding the coats of the guys who are chunking the rocks. It's Stephen. And that's where we pick up in Acts 8.1. Saul agreed with putting him, that is Stephen, to death. And on that day... A severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And I want you to notice this next clause. And all except the apostles were scattered. 
throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. In one moment, everything this early church had known vanished. In one moment, everything this early church had trusted in in terms of security and stability was taken from them. In one moment, everything changed for them. In such a way, church history tells us, that church never gathered together again in that same size and strength and number for the rest of early church history. Now, when we're doing our read through the Bible in a year, we just kind of buzz on by that. And we're just kind of making our progress. We had on Acts 8, 2 and Acts 8, 3. And we don't stop there to really grasp the enormity of exactly what Dr. Luke is communicating under spirit inspiration. The original mission strategy of getting that church out of Jerusalem and to Judea and Samaria was not one that they thought about. It was not a strategy they chose. It wasn't based upon a lot of strategic planning, a lot of forethought. Instead, it was a divinely orchestrated disruption that propelled that church to start getting busy about the rest of the Acts 1-8 strategy. Why do I say that? What uh, Brian didn't mention was uh, I became the president of the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, one of your six cooperative program-supported seminaries on February the 27th, 2019. And when people ask me what's it been like being the president of Southwestern Seminary, I often say, it was not just coming back to my alma mater, my wife's alma mater. We met at Southwestern Seminary. We're both graduates, first alumnus in 25 years to be president there. By the way, Southwestern Seminary, if you don't know us, has sent more people to overseas service through the International Mission Board in our history than any other theological seminary. We are the original Great Commission Seminary of Southern Baptists. And as I've told my dear friend, Dr. Paul Chitwood, who does send his greetings to you this morning, I'm committed that that's going to be our task and our vision for as long as the Lord allows me life and breath to serve as the president of Southwestern Seminary. But two and a half years, being president of Southwestern Seminary has been being president of an institution filled with opportunities cleverly in disguise as problems. And I like solving problems. A lot of those problems I knew about. A whole bunch of them you could just Hit Google and you can find out about them, read about them. But a year into my presidency, along comes this problem called COVID-19 that I sure didn't see. Nobody told me about. Nobody could have predicted. Nobody would have seen it. If you'd have told me two and a half years ago when I became the president of Southwestern Seminary that the time would come where Southern Baptist churches across our land would have to stop having in-person worship services because of a global pandemic, I would have said, no. If I would have told you two and a half years ago that the face mask was going to become the fashion accessory of choice for a whole bunch of folks, you'd have said, nah, 
If I would have told you that one out of every 500 Americans would die in two and a half years because of a pandemic and a virus that none of us would have even heard of in 2019 in February, you would have said, whoa. And that's where we are. And I don't know how long it's going to last. Who would have thought we'd soon be talking about Delta as something other than an airline carrier that sticks us through Atlanta? I've heard about a Lambda variant now. I don't know what's coming. But here's one thing I do know. COVID-19 caught us by surprise. It didn't catch God by surprise. And God in his sovereignty could have chosen not to allow it to happen. We just have to acknowledge that. If God is sovereign, if he owns a cattle on a thousand hills, he owns a thousand hills. If not even a sparrow can fall to the ground unless the Father wills it. Then what may seem like something we would never have chosen, we must understand is something that God has chosen in his sovereignty to allow. For what purposes? I'm certainly not competent to adjudicate. But I wonder if the Lord is trying to tell us something. I wonder if the Lord is trying to put us in a position to strip away all of the excuses, all of the conveniences, all of the things that we have been trusting in to shake us back to being reminded of what matters most. I'm recruiting all the time. I approach my work at Southwestern Seminary as president like an SEC football coach. We're always recruiting. And I talk to people about following God's calling into ministry, to mission, theological education. And especially today I hear, but what about a job? What about my family? I can't do it now. I've got this commitment. I've got that commitment. I don't know how this could work out. I don't know. I don't, what about, what about, what about, what about? And it's easy from the human standpoint to try to put conditions upon God and to say, well, God, if you'll just work out this and 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 this, then maybe I'll fully surrender to you and do what you want me to do. But have you noticed how God just has a remarkable way of not meeting us on our terms, but instead reminding us that we meet him on his terms? I wonder if COVID-19 is God's way of saying to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in North America, it is time to stop playing church and it's time to start being the church. It's time to stop going through all the motions of a ritualized, compromised American churchianity that prizes our comfort and our convenience over everything else. To where God has to bring something in that we would never have chosen. To remind us just how utterly dependent we are upon him and more importantly that his mission matters more than our preference. I mean we see it played out here don't we? Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul however was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women and put them in prison. The cost of discipleship. Verse 4, 
So those who were scattered raised their voices to God and complained about the unfairness of it all. No, but bless your heart, there have been some Baptists in that crowd. That's what we would have done. How many times have we bellyached and complained about all the inconvenience? About They're making us wear a face mask. And they're making us socially distance. And we think that's suffering and persecution. We think that's hardship. Talk to some of our IMB brothers and sisters and ask them about persecution and hardship. Ask them about the cost of following Christ wherever he leads. Again, what's striking about this passage is what's not there. No regret, no excuse, no letting up, shutting up, backing up, or giving up. It's just going on. In such a way to where you would almost think nothing had happened. So those who were scattered went on their way, preaching the word, proclaiming the message. It's as if something clicked to go, oh, this isn't foreign to God's will. This is an extension of God's will. Or to put it another way, maybe they really only began to understand exactly what Jesus was getting at in Acts 1-8 when they had an Acts 8-1 experience. Maybe that's when the light bulb finally clicked on to go, behold. Maybe he really did mean something about Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the rest of the uttermost part of the earth. Philip, who's another one of those deacons, again, hardly a table waiter. He's a powerful, powerful proclaimer and witness. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds were all paying attention to what Philip said as they listened and saw the signs he was performing. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. Verse 8, so there was great joy in that city. Out of persecution and diaspora comes proclamation and joy. Would to God that on the other side of COVID-19, the missions movement is reignited of men and women sold out who care less about all the comfort and convenience of this world because you realize just how transitory those things are. Who settle less for what the world defines as happiness, but who desire to be used as instruments to help people experience joy, real joy, life-changing joy. Let me bottom line it for us. I've been around Baptists for a long time, and I are one, by conviction. And I've noticed something about Baptists. When there's something we really want to do, we will always make a way. When there's something we don't want to do, we'll always make an excuse. When Wade and I were with Al Jackson and Adam Trailer at Jordan-Hare Stadium yesterday, I realized, and I even commented, 
Brother Al about how we were walking into the largest venue for religious worship here in this part of the state of Alabama. And the way these people, it wouldn't matter if it was hot, cold, rainy. Wouldn't matter if they're up by 20, down by 20. Wouldn't matter what else was going on. They're all in. Because they're passionate, devoted, sold out for their team. Would to God that we had that kind of passion and devotion. We were sold out to where no more excuses. No more letting 19 drops of rain keep 20 Baptists out of church. Or nine snowflakes in this part of the state, amen? No more saying we can't really sell out because of what it will cost us. No more saying I'm going to delay in following God's call to the mission field or to seminary because I don't know how I can pay for it. I don't know what my wife or my husband will think. No more excuses. If there's anything that God's trying to tell us in the COVID-19 pandemic, if there's anything that I would want to leave with you here at this International Missions Festival as we begin these incredible four days together, it is this. The time is short. The need is great. There is never a right time to do the wrong thing. There is never a wrong time to do the right thing. If God's calling you, sell out and surrender today. If God's calling you to seminary, surrender today. If God's calling you to the mission field, to ministry, surrender today. No more excuses. COVID stripped us of all that. And the urgency of the moments we find ourselves in now will we rise to the occasion and be found faithful as God's people that he might make us fruitful for his mission, that there might be great joy in every city that he sends us to. Let's pray together. Loving Father, we're so thankful for these moments together around your word. God, you are so wonderfully good to us. You are better than we deserve because what we deserve is death and hell. What we deserve is to be eternally separated from you. But, Lord, you've given to us everything in Christ. New life, a new name, a new family, a new identity, a new purpose. We live not unto ourselves, but unto you. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. We're Holy Spirit-filled men and women. Therefore, we are to glorify you. And what glorifies you is surrender, obedience, yielding to you, to your will and to your word. Father, I pray for these great people called Lakeview, people I love so much, church that has such a marvelous and storied legacy of faithfulness. But Lord, I know the best is yet to come. You're not through here. The grace days of this church are not in the rearview mirror. They're in the windshield. But Father, I have to believe in a crowd like this, there are those with whom your spirit is dealing. Someone... Lord may be here, and they don't know Christ in a personal way. They've never turned from their sin and trusted Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. There are others who've trusted Him but are not fully surrendered to what it means to make Christ Lord. That truly, wherever He goes, wherever He calls me, I'll go. Wherever He tells me to do, I'll do. To put that blank check on the altar, that yes, Lord, now what is the question?
especially, Lord, on a missions weekend like this, there may be men and women that you're stirring about a heart for the nations, stirring about getting prepared for that by pursuing theological education. Oh, Lord, in this most important time of the service, the time of invitation and response, use it for your glory. Do business right here and right now in our hearts and lives. Have your own way, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Christ in the person. Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org slash contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.